Good morning. My name is Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at CIV. And today we're wrapping up our message series that we've called The Church Moves Forward. And in this series, we've been looking at the book of Acts and the New Testament portion of the Bible. And we've been looking at how the early church moved from a small, frightened, fragmented group into a courageous worldwide movement. And this movement has worked its way through history until now. Here we are in Ontario, California, proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And that movement has worked all the way to us here today. Second Timothy 2.2 paints a picture of how God's movement has continued on throughout generation after generation over the last over 2,000 years. It says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This verse has four generations of the faith in it. Take a look. And what you have heard from me, me is the first generation. You is the second generation. In the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men, that's the third generation, who will also be able to teach others. That's the fourth generation. God has worked through his people to pass down the faith, generation after generation of people saved by God's grace, pass on this message of hope. And if this is a movement of hope, like we've called the message today, then it's really important for us to understand what is hope. When you do an internet search of hope, here's what comes up. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's a person or thing that may help or save someone. It's grounds for believing that something good may happen. The archaic definition is a feeling of trust. We have hope when there's reason to believe that something good could happen. That's the definition of hope in today's times. But the problem with that definition is that putting our hope in a certain outcome, just many times in life, that outcome's not going to happen. Or we're going to get the exact opposite outcome that we're wanting in a situation. I've talked many times about my wife's health struggle uh, that kind of culminated in two years ago. Um, and she had ulcerative colitis since she was about 21 years old. And we prayed for God to heal her over the years. But even if he didn't heal her, we really didn't want her to have to have a surgery that would remove her colon. Well, two years ago, that's exactly where we found ourselves. She needed that surgery. The thing we had hoped wouldn't happen and prayed wouldn't happen was happening. You ever been in a situation like that? The thing you hoped wouldn't happen happens. Or the thing that you were hoping would happen now no longer looks like a possibility, and you're crushed. Where is hope in those situations? 
Without God, there is no hope, except for wishful thinking that times are going to get better. But with God, there's always hope, because God is always faithful, even in the unwanted circumstances. Even when the thing we wish will happen, the thing we hope will happen, doesn't happen, he is faithful in the middle of those. And God was faithful to us when Gina was dealing with the health issues and the thing we hoped wouldn't happen. Today we're going to look at a passage in the Bible that describes a hopeless situation and how God can be trusted through it all. And so we are going to read through all of Acts 12 together. Then we're going to look at some lessons we can learn from Acts 12. And then we're going to look at what what did the church do in this situation and what can we do in response to what we see in Acts 12 as well. So let's start reading Acts 12 together. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Now, these early verses in Acts 12, they're giving us some background information that's helpful for us to understand uh, for the rest of the biblical account that we're going to read. One of the first things we see is that uh, Herod is mentioned. This is King Herod Agrippa I. There's many reasons uh, that pleasing the Jewish people would have been of high priority for him. But the, the main reason is that he ruled over major Jewish regions in the area. He was reigning in modern day Israel. The second thing we see is that James, the brother of John, is referred to here. This is one of the 12 disciples. His brother John and James, they were the son of Zebedee. So one of Jesus' closest followers has been killed, and another one, Peter, has been thrown into prison. And then the third thing that's really important to understand is that it turns out that his arrest during the days of unleavened bread is a really big deal for Peter. The days of unleavened bread were the seven days after the Passover meal in Jewish culture. And the Jews would have seen Herod's killing of Peter during that time as a desecration. So this timing gives Peter time to sit in prison before he is killed. And verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So here is Peter kept in prison because it's during Passover. And Herod's not going to bring him out to the people to turn him over to be killed. If he was imprisoned any other time, Herod would have immediately brought him out to the people and Peter would have been killed. So Herod puts him under heavy guard. 
because he thinks, I can't bring him out to be killed now, but we've got to make sure that he stays in prison. It could have looked something like this picture that I found on the internet. Sleeping between two guards, chained. Two more guards, at least, at the door. And look what happens. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. And a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Now, I think it's really interesting here that the chains just fell off. I've never been asleep between two guards in prison, but I would imagine that you're going to want to be quiet if you're trying to escape prison. The only thing I can really imagine that this would experience would be like is when my kids were babies and I'd finally get them to sleep and I'd put them in the crib and I'm trying to tiptoe out of the room to be super quiet and shut the door just right so they don't wake up. I would imagine that would be your feeling amplified by like a million times. I wouldn't want to wake the two guards that are right next to me, the others at the door, yet his chains just fall off. Chains don't fall quietly. And the angel's just speaking to him. And what this goes to show is God is control of everything. He doesn't need to be quiet when he's breaking one of his followers out of prison. His purposes endure, no matter what the situation And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. He thinks he's dreaming and seeing a vision. When they had passed The first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord was sent, has sent his angel, and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. She's so excited. She runs in. To tell everybody, she forgets to open the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning motioning to them, With his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. 
And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Herod must have been furious. He did all he could to secure the prisoner. He kept extra guards. He had Peter sleeping between the guards, but it was not enough because God's purpose always prevails. The movement of hope marches on in the face of impossible odds. Acts 12.20 goes on to describe, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and, and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man! Herod is getting praised and seemingly loving it, taking all the praise for himself. But look what happens. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. God's movement continues to march on. What an amazing account of God working through what seemed like an impossible situation. It seemed like imminent death for Peter. There's lessons to be learned from Acts 12. And so let's take a look at three lessons we can learn from this passage that we've just looked at. The first lesson comes in James' death. Christ gives hope in death. Acts 12.2 said, He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. His death is just mentioned quickly. And then it goes on to this very long account of how Peter's life was spared. It would be easy to look at the story and think, why did God work through miracles to save Peter, and yet he allowed James to be killed? And I don't know why God allowed James to be killed and miraculously saved Peter, but what this shows us is that there is hope in James' death. Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus, James was a follower of Jesus. He made Christ his Lord. And so when he was killed, he moved into eternity with God in heaven. Now his death would have been very difficult for those that were still alive on earth and, and loved him, they'd be working through grief and probably a lot of fear of what happened to him might happen to them as well if they're followers of Christ. But if we think about this from James' perspective and from the broader perspective of history and time, he was saved. 
And his death meant that he went to heaven to be with Christ for all of eternity. No more pain. No more struggles. There is hope even in death for those that follow Christ. And that is the core at the heart of this movement of hope that is God's kingdom. We can also learn from just the impossible circumstances. With God, all things are possible. Let's recap some of these impossible circumstances. James was recently killed. Peter sleeping between two guards with more waiting at the door for him. He would have already been dead if it wasn't for this time of year. He's just waiting to be hand, handed over to be killed, and God sends an angel to free him. He was in prison and still alive because God's purposes will endure under any circumstance, because he's God. His kingdom cannot be stopped. And the result of this impossible situation is what we see in Acts 12.24, which says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. God's purposes are steadfast. Another lesson we see is in Herod's death. Faithfulness to God is the only hope in life. If we look at this circumstance... Herod has the upper hand in every every way. He's pleasing the Jewish people, the people that he's presiding over. And if the people that you're leading are, are happy with you, things typically go well for you. He's captured Peter and has him under heavily under heavy guard. Yet Peter escapes. And ultimately this happens. And the people were shouting the voice of God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Pretty graphic stuff from the Bible right there. Eaten by worms. This shows us faithfulness to God is the only hope in life. Everything else can look like it's going your way like it did for Herod, but then tragedy could strike. With God, not even death can win. Because death on earth for his people, for his kingdom, for his movement of hope brings eternal life with God in heaven. Now, those are three important lessons that we can learn from the story. But there's also two major actions that we see in this story that the church put into practice, and we can follow their example. And what we see in this biblical account is that the church moves forward as its people pray earnestly and tell of what God has done. The result of Acts 12 was the word of God was increasing and multiplying. What was the church's role in this? It was God that was making it happen. But what was highlighted that the church did in this story that we can do also? Take a look at Acts 12.5. It says, 
So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And then in Acts 12, 17, we see, tell these things to James and to the brothers. The church prayed earnestly, and then they told others what God did. We can do that too. So what does prayer, this earnest prayer, like Acts 12.5 is describing, look, look like? The Greek word used for earnest has the idea of stretching out. It's this straining to pray. The King James Version of the Bible says, without ceasing. Earnest prayer is praying strongly, praying often, Praying that with hope that God can do anything. That is what the people of God were doing in Acts 12. And I want to tell you about a couple of ways that we have seen God answer the earnest prayer of his people at CIV this past year. God's movement of hope is real. It's not just something we read about in the Bible. It is happening day by day in our lives and the people around us as well. The first story I want to tell you about uh, is about Luke Rosman. Here's a picture of Luke. Uh, He is the four-year-old son of longtime CIV members, Brad and Lindsay Rosman. Luke has a long medical history. He was born with a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. His organs were in the wrong place uh, through a hernia, which squished his lungs. Um, He had to have a major surgery just a couple days after he was born to fix the hernia and push his organs back down um, where they belonged. Um, But what this means is that his lungs are different than normal lungs that were able to develop without being squished. Um, but God brought him through that. But then last year, around this time, uh, Luke was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and pneumonia. The pneumonia would get better, and then it would he, Luke would get sick again. And through the process of trying to figure out what was going on, the doctors eventually found that he had a mass in his lung that was blocking the lower two-thirds of his lung. And They couldn't tell what the mass was, but the doctors determined that they needed to remove the mass and two-thirds of his lung. When we heard about this, the people of CIV began to pray for Luke's healing, pray that it would be healed miraculously. He wouldn't need the surgery. Nancy Hoogstad organized a prayer sign-up for people to be praying up until the surgery and during it and after And we prayed and prayed and prayed. Luke needed to have the surgery. And the surgery ended up being a lot longer than expected. It was an 11-hour surgery because the doctor was literally having to make up what he was doing during the surgery because Luke's lungs are so unique. And Luke's recovery was much more difficult than expected. And on August 23rd, it looked like Luke was going to die. The Rosmans called me that night 
um, because I was helping communicate prayer needs. And during the call, a doctor came in and they just left the call open and I could hear what was going on on the other side of the line. I couldn't hear everything, but what I did hear was they were preparing the Rosman for Luke's imminent death. They were almost out of all the interventions that they could try for Luke. Luke was declining rapidly. Earlier that day, he was looked like he was getting better. And then by that night, it looks like he's going to die. They told them to have their family come to say goodbye to Luke. So CIV started to pray earnestly for Luke and the Rosman family, praying that God would spare his life. Texting friends and family members. Here's a picture of the Rosman family praying that night. Our churches in the network were praying. Churches and people from around the world were praying for God to spare Luke's life. And God did spare his life miraculously. Some of the doctors came in the next morning and with hugs for the Rosman saying, I didn't think you'd still be here. I'm so glad that you're here. I didn't think it was going to go this way. There was no way for the doctors to see that this was going to turn around. But the church prayed earnestly, and God saved his life. And God continued to strengthen Luke. And last week, he came to church for the first time uh, since his surgery in August. You can see he's a celebrity now by the picture. See, there's always hope with God in any circumstance. The church's role is to earnestly pray and rally around those that are in need of the prayer. He might choose to save them with a miracle, like Peter's miraculous escape from prison. Or maybe someone dies, like James did. But there's hope with God whether he saves them through a miracle or that person dies having been saved by God's grace. The church moves forward in hope. Another person I want to introduce you to is Riley Albright. CIV has earnestly prayed for Riley for over a decade. Riley's 13 years old. He's the son of Jace and Tracy Albright. And he, he does not speak. We've been praying for God to enable Riley to speak for over a decade. The Albrights have tried therapy after therapy to help their son. They've tried diets. They've tried any type of therapy that they hear helps other kids. They have tried it for their son. But day after day, they could not communicate with Riley. Based on what they could see here on earth, it looked like they wouldn't be able to communicate with him. The best hope that they could think about that they've heard was helping other people was maybe when he hit puberty that something could change and he could talk or there would be just another type of therapy that they could try. But it was hard to keep on going, getting their hopes up and then being let down when therapy after therapy didn't work. CIV continued to pray for Riley and the Albrights, pleading with God on behalf of the Albrights to allow Riley to speak. And then Jace lost his job for 
principal reasons as a physical therapist. It's a story for a different time. (laughs) He started to work at a place where Riley had gone for physical therapy, and through that employment, someone mentioned a way that people were having success helping their kids learn how to spell to communicate. They start with using a letter board like this and and an object to like a pencil to poke through the letter board to spell. And the goal is to end up, to eventually end up spelling with a keyboard. And Riley is now starting to spell to communicate. In fact, earlier this year, the Albrights were able to buy Riley something that they knew he wanted for the first time. They could ask him if he wanted it. He said yes. They asked him what color he wanted. And he told them, here's Riley riding on that bike that they bought for him. Thirteen years and they could buy something they knew he wanted. They've also learned that Riley has a love and an incredible aptitude for math. Riley's also putting together what I hear is an impressive Christmas list. And I'm sure lots of people are going to make that Christmas list happen. They also learned that Riley was not a Christian. And then last week, Tracy sent this message out. Riley just became a Christian. I was following up on some questions he had answered several weeks ago He was answering very clearly. I clarified if anything was holding him back, and he spelled, right now, I plan to accept Christ. I asked him, as Tracy's continuing to talk, I asked him a series of questions to be sure he understood sin and Christ's death and what it means to make Jesus his Lord. He was able to answer everything, and he said, right now, I want to make God my Lord. I prayed out loud and told him he could repeat the prayer to God in his mind. Then I asked him if he prayed it. He said, I did. I asked him how he felt. And he said, I feel I have a right relationship with God. Tracy went on to describe a little more details on his spelling and how she just knew it was God at work in his life. God has once again heard the earnest prayers of his people a decade of praying and asking God to help Riley to speak, to communicate, and Riley is now doing what seemed impossible just last year. God's kingdom is a kingdom of hope. When things look hopeless, God is there. He can help someone escape from prison. He can save When the doctors are out of options, he can use the loss of a job to lead you down a path to help your son communicate for the first time in his life. His movement throughout history is spreading hope to the hopeless. And we get to be a part of that. Spreading that hope through earnest prayer and telling of what God has done. Each week we have next steps that you can take in response to the message. We have uh, these next steps because we want to be doers of God's word. We want to take what Acts 12 is talking about and put it into practice in our life. So here's some next steps you might want to take in response to the message today. 
My next step today is to, for the first time, make Jesus the Lord of my life. If you haven't done that, accept that free gift of eternal life and start to live a life of hope and be a part of this movement of hope that is God's people saved only by grace. Another next step is to make a list of prayers that God has answered and look for an opportunity to share that with someone this week. Think about how the news of Peter's escape from prison would travel. People would hear about how God helped him escape and be drawn to a relationship with him. People can be drawn to a relationship with God as we talk about the ways he's answered prayer for us as well. And then the last next step is pray earnestly for CIV to accomplish our mission of inviting our neighbors to discover Christ through his life-changing community. The church is a movement of hope. It's not a hope founded on wishful thinking and desires being fulfilled. It's a hope founded on Christ, that he will do good to us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. It is a hope that knows the pain experienced in this world won't last forever. It is a hope that prays earnestly for God to move and expand his kingdom to our friends and family. So let's be the kind of church that keeps praying earnestly to care for the people in our church, that keeps praying earnestly that more and more of our friends and family come to know Christ, that they can have the hope that is found in Christ alone. Let's pray earnestly right now that God would help us to be that church moving forward. God, we thank you so much for your word, the Bible, and the guide that it is to us, that it instructs us to pray earnestly, that it instructs us to tell of the good things that you are doing. God, help us to be that kind of church. We thank you so much for what you have done this year for Luke Rosman, for Riley Albright. We thank you for that. We pray that you would keep answering the prayers of CIV, that people would keep coming to know you and accepting you as their Lord and Savior and learning how to obey you and experience the life the way you want us to experience it. That they would find hope in you and hope when they're facing hopeless situations. Help us to look for you for hope, Lord, and not anything we see around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.